Berkshire Football Stories podcast is sponsored by the Curious Academy, a skills hub running a sales academy, digital skills bootcamp and data analytics training in Reading. The Curious Academy is all about you and creating positive outcomes, whether that is finding a career, starting a business or just walking away feeling much more confident about life. Their programs are designed for people who have lost their way a bit and are looking to change their futures, maybe rebuild their confidence or be pushed slightly out of their comfort zone in a safe and friendly environment. Group sizes are small to ensure everyone has an opportunity to get involved. The Curious Academy delivers inspirational and fun programs designed to help people wanting to improve their skills, whatever their background. You can find out more at www.thecuriousacademy.co.uk. Football in Berkshire's podcast is sponsored by Ticket Pass. TicketPass provides an ethical alternative to a ticketing industry that often profits from greed. Our platform is an all-in-one solution for creating events, buying and selling tickets, live streaming and keeping events in a safe space. To find out more, to buy tickets, to sign up to the service, head to ticketpass.org. For most people, 2nd of February 2011 was a normal working day. But for supporters of Windsor and Eton FC, it was the day our club died. That was one of the final sentences in Michael Gegg's book, Wearing the Red and Green, a complete history of Windsor and Eton Football Club, 1892-2011. And this is the story of that day. Hello, Tom Canning here, and it is Windsor Month on Football in Berkshire. We're looking at all the things Windsor football from the past, the present and the future. And on this episode of Berkshire Football Stories, we are looking at the surprise, and well, at least to a lot of us on the outside, demise of one of Berkshire's most famous clubs. You'll be familiar with Windsor FC, the Union Jack shirts and of course Mick Woodham. But before this current club was born in 2011, there is quite a bit of history and one particular moment that led to it all. There probably hadn't been an earthquake quite like this one since Wokingham Town's departure from Finchampstead Road. You can listen to one of our first ever podcasts with Mark Ashwell to learn more about that. It was a strange time for the club who were going well in the Southern League Premier Division after promotion in the summer. They kept hold of leading goalscorer Michael Chennels and made some important additions with boss Dave Mudge guiding the side to just one defeat in 16 league games. Off the field however, trouble was brewing and the HMRC were catching up with the club. Before we speak to Michael Gigg, I wanted to read a couple of extracts from his excellent book, Wearing the Red and Green, to give you an idea of where the club was and what was coming. Success on the field was not matched by events off it. 
In October, the club were contacted by Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs regarding an unpaid tax bill of approximately £50,000. It was a threat that was very real. After discussions, the High Court gave the club 56 days to sort its finances out. We've got the extension now, which means we can still play, said a relieved Dave Mudge in the Windsor Express. Off-the-field affairs had meant clubs were circling Stag Meadow and making approaches to players. There's been a non-stop stream of people contacting me and my players saying that when we go out of business, they will have somewhere to go. Well, this extra 56 days means they are going nowhere. The 56-day extension allowed the club to put plans together to enter a company voluntary agreement, or a CVA. This meant the club or so it thought anyway, would face a 10-point penalty and a reduction in the club's debt. The club would have to pay creditors a percentage of every pound owed to the club, owed to creditors, subject to agreement from creditors. In January, the Football Association and the Southern League informed the club that entering a CVA and paying off creditors a percentage in the pound would actually lead to far worse than a 10-point deduction the club would actually face a two-level relegation from the Premier Division. The club's alternative options were to enter a CVA and agree to pay 100 pence in every pound owed over a three-year period or agree to pay off the HMRC in full and informally negotiate a payment plan with other creditors. Things do not look good, reflected Kevin Stott in the Windsor Express. Days later, it was announced that the club's home game against Tiverton Town on the 29th of January would be its last. The club had lost its battle and exhausted all options. Supporters were informed that the club would not be contesting the winding up petition brought against it by the HMRC. Michael says, I remember when the message was delivered, shock at the realisation that we'd no longer be watching our club after all these years. We slumped to a 3-1 defeat in that final game. Substitute Tom Collins was to be the last player to score for Windsor and Eton Football Club. So, you're up to speed. Uh, I will be chatting to Michael after these messages. Football in Berkshire's podcast is sponsored by TicketPass. TicketPass provides an ethical alternative to a ticketing industry that often profits from greed. Our platform is an all-in-one solution for creating events, buying and selling tickets, live streaming and keeping events in a safe space. To find out more, to buy tickets, to sign up to the service, head to ticketpass.org. Berkshire Football Stories is sponsored by the Curious Academy, a skills hub running the Sales Academy, digital skills boot camps, and data analytics training in Reading. To find out more, head to thecuriousacademy.co.uk. Yeah, well, thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on. That's that's quite all right. Um, I so this podcast is part of our Windsor Month, which we are doing in February twenty twenty three. Have to get that date right because it's changed <laughs> recently. Um, I wanted to just sort of start at the end, as it were, um, and it okay. was second uh, of February twenty eleven, and it's probably the worst day for a football a supporter of a football club. Well, the issue, the issue actually, Tom, on that day was it's it's also my birthday. So, oh no, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was an interesting birthday present back in 2011. 
Yes, I can imagine. That's um, that's so. So this is the the demise of Windsor and Eton Football Club, which came to an end in the High Court. Um, and it, it just. I remember a while back we talked to uh, Mark Ashwell, who was the president of Wokingham Town or a, a long-serving supporter or board member of Wokingham Town, and he said at the end of their club it was very much a smash and grab raid on the clubhouse to get as much memorabilia as possible uh, before it all before the bulldozers moved in. It wasn't quite the same here, was it? No, it wasn't because I think as soon as the club the club folded. Um, pretty much straight away, people were already putting in plans in place for a new club in, in Windsor. Um, so things like memorabilia, you know, what they didn't need to be that massive, they didn't need to be that massive rush. Um, you know, but the great thing was uh, that all of the memorabilia that was there, um, you know, the officials of the new club um, kind of packed it all into to boxes, um, stored it away. Um, but made sure that nothing was nothing was thrown out, which was which was great. So, um, talk me a little bit through about kind of what happened because just reading the end of your book, uh, it was like there was five weeks of a roller coaster before the before the, the axe finally fell. Um, so, so talk, well, I tell you what, let's go let's go right back to the very start then. You, you started the season quite well. Um, Dave Mudge was in charge. Um, you'd kept your star striker, and things yeah. were looking good. Yeah, I mean, we probably need to rewind just a little bit further, to be honest. So, the, the season before that, we'd we'd won the um, we'd won the Southern Division One title um, under Keith Scott and, and Jim Melvin. Um, yeah, we had a we had a fantastic team, and I'd probably, if I'm honest, in my time watching Windsor, is probably one of the top two or three sides um, that we had in my time. It's a very very special side that that Keith had had put together there. Um, there was a there was a fallout disagreement at the end of that season. Um, don't know the ins and outs of that between you know Keith and and Peter, who was the chairman. Um, and within weeks of that of that league title win, that that side broke up. Um, you know, I think only four players remained. Four or five players remained, and and Dave Mudge, Dave Mudge took over. Um, but if I'm honest, at, at that period, it was there was definitely a perfect storm was was brewing. Um, actually, very similar to today in a way that. Economically, the country was going through you know, this big global recession that happened during that period with the big financial crisis. Um, and as a result of that, you know, directors, businesses inevitably would have been affected. We lost a sponsor. And if I'm honest, um, the budget that we had, I don't know what the, nut, the exact number was, but it was probably an unsustainable budget. In, in, in all truth, um, the the crowds that the Windsor were getting, we were never a, a slough or say, well, Maidenhead are now, and the crowds that, that they got, you know, we were probably always one of the, the lower, I guess, clubs in the league at the Premier Division level um, with the, the number of crowds that we were getting. And you only have to do the maths and you look at those crowd numbers and you think, you know, really, it's, we're relying on contributions from directors. Um, and if we're honest, I'd probably say that that's the same in 99% of non-league clubs. I think a lot of non-league clubs will probably deny that, but I think if you do a lot of the maths, 
and you and honestly you look at what your crowd figures are can you really sustain that just from gate money um you know so it's always direct contribution so you know we went through a period um where we just probably didn't that we didn't have the money um in all truth and everything just started to, to unravel from there i mean i think there were a few myths that were circulating at that time around keith and jim in particular around um they overspent their budgets etc they didn't overspend their budgets you know that's that that was a complete unfair myth that was that was put on keith and jim i've spoken to a lot of people in developing this book um you know and that that is one thing i do want to try and get that message out there that you know keith and jim didn't overspend budgets that's you know that's that it's unfair on them and it's unfair on that squad that was put together you know keith year on year his budget was reducing um and i don't know the ins and outs of the fallout with peter but clearly there was a disagreement between the two parties um and and, and keith parted ways but i do know that when um the chairman at the time peter had gone to keith to say look we do need to reduce the budget even though we're going into the premier division he came back with a proposal with a with a fastly reduced budget but obviously that wasn't accepted yeah and, and keith moved on um and i do so i do think that's important to get out there but you know at the time i say it was just it was a perfect storm um and at, but at that time no one knew the the depth of 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 the financial the real financial issues we then started that following season dave much byron byron walton took over and again they did an incredible job building a team up from um from nothing can only having four or five players we were lucky that we managed to keep michael channels who he was a 30 goal a season center forward so if you're going up into a premier division if you can keep hold of your your best goal scorer um you know you're always in with a chance of at least staying up and hoping to hoping to compete um yeah, so you know, we went up and we'd done really well that season. We were fifth in the league by the time we went, um, you know, we, by the time the club folded. Um, you know, so we'd, we'd done fantastic. But as I say, it was just, you know, HMRC came, you know, approached the club, whatever it was, October, November time. Um, unpaid tax bill, 50, 60,000 pounds. And we, you know, we didn't have the money to pay it back. Mm. And and so when did you first get an inkling of that? It was October. It was October time. I mean, to be to be fair, the the chairman at the time, Peter Simpson, you know, he was very transparent um, at that time. It was it was all in the press. Um, I think with the hope that you know we could we could um, you know maybe be able to get some investment in. Um, Michael Channels was put on a transfer list, and I guess there was always the hope that someone might come in for for Chen's earlier in in that summer Brentford had sniffed about and took him on a trial for five weeks and then at the end of that five weeks they didn't go for him but I think Peter was probably of the hope that you know if we can sell Michael Channels for 25 or 30 grand mm. um, you know actually that's going to go a big way to, to, to paying that tax bill but that 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 never came, that never came that never came through and you can't rely on stuff like that so that that kind of that five weeks before it, it sort of all it all ended. Uh, just reading reading the end of your book, you said, as you say, it was a it was a bit of a, a roller coaster. One week it was good, one week it was bad. Um, did, did you really ever think that it would end? Do you know what? It's a really good question. I think 
I think if I'm honest, no, I think I, I, I think as human beings always kind of probably have that bit more positive outlook of something called it'll be fine, you know, it'll be fine. Uh, they'll come to an, a repayment agreement with the mm-hmm. HRC. Um, you know, someone will come in, Peter will find Peter will find some money from somewhere. Um, Kevin Stott, who's obviously now the um, the the owner of Windsor FC, mm. uh, he, he'd left. He he and Peter had been um, kind of the two main men at, at Windsor and Eton for obviously many many years. Um, they had a, a fallout, which is also part of the perfect storm. Um, but Kevin was then back on the scene then um, and looking to try and save the club. So I guess there was a lot of people thinking, oh, maybe Kevin will put. You know, with Kevin, it could be some investments. I think everyone just had that hope and probably thought it, it would, the worst would never actually happen. And, you know, someone would just come out of the woodwork. I know, obviously, that, that never did quite. Did it, did it at some point become easier just to have a new club instead of this old sort of hulking debt monster? Yeah, I think um, the, the options that were open to the club at the time, because we were, clearly we were £50,000, £60,000 in debt, um, the, the debt was was bigger than that officially, £200,000, but really that was made up of directors' loans. So unless Peter and Kevin demanded that money back, which they, they, they wouldn't have, you know, that, that wasn't a, it's a real debt. It was a, that was £50,000, mm-hmm. £60,000. But the options open to the club at the time were, you know, we'd just been promoted to the Premier Division. Um, the only real option, if no investment came forward, was probably a CVA. Um, so to do the CVA, there was kind of a bit of misunderstanding on what that would involve. Some people originally thought we're going to get a 10-point deduction or we'll happily take a 10-point deduction. But in, in, in real terms, it was you would actually be... Um, if you went in the CVA, you would be relegated two divisions. So Premier Division down to the combined combined counties in mm. essence, mm. um, and you'd still have to pay the debt back. You know, you would agree a uh, you'd agree a figure with your creditors. So for every pound, we'll pay back twenty p in the pound, for example, over a three year period, and the club would get relegated two divisions. So I guess if you reform the club. And you, so if you close that club, reform the club, um, and this is this is harsh, particularly for creditors, um, you know, you would inevitably you could speak to the Football Association, you could reform the club, um, you would have to start two leagues below, but you wouldn't have the debt. So from that perspective, it made sense to close the club, reform, and then you, you, you start an offer. You, Either way, you would have had to have started in the combined counties, but one would be with a debt, one would not be with a debt. So that that was obviously the the, fi- the the final decision, which made a lot of sense at the time. Now, fast forward to where Windsor Football Club are now, um, and this is easier said than done, but the big issue that Windsor Football Club have right now is they don't have a lease on Stag Meadow. And there's been ongoing disputes with the Crown. Um, I won't bore you with all that, but there's been <laughs> the Crown trying to get trying to get a lease in place. Now, if you would have taken the CVA route, yes, you would have obviously then had to have paid the debt, a, a portion of the debt back, 
you would have been relegated to divisions, but you would have still have had a 25-year lease or whatever mm. the term was on Stag Meadow. And probably now, Windsor FC has probably lost more than what that debt would have been because we haven't yeah. had a lease now. You know, the club could have... They could have had all the investment. They could have done three G pitches. Everything that I think Kevin had aspirations to do. Um, if you've got the lease, and one way of keeping that, maintaining that lease, would have been the CVA route because the Windsor and Eton, that company is still in existence. Yeah. Uh, but I guess the unknown at the time were think as well was the Kevin etc. weren't sure if, if there might have been other debts that may have come out. Mm. Of yeah. I, I suppose it, it was a it was a really it was a really strange time to sort of be around because that just that sort of thing just hadn't hadn't happened, especially not locally. There was probably no one to turn totally. to for any advice. Totally, and I th and I think that as well. That's why a lot of us we didn't think it would probably ever come to it because we'd been in financial issues before. Um, but you'd you'd always come through it, and you look at mm. other clubs that have gone through, like you know, Slough went through different challenges that they've been through as a club they come through it and you just look mm. at different clubs when you hear financial difficulties and clubs always come through it so i don't think any of us really thought mm, it's we're gonna we're gonna close is there it, it may it may seem a little harsh but in in the end a club a club did close is, is there blame is, is there things that people could have done better how, how does a how does a tax bill get racked up like that it's a really, it's a really good question, and I think, um, I think, look, I think absolutely right. I think a number of people could have have done better. You obviously, had, as I say, it's a perfect storm. We lost sponsorship. We lost, we lost directors. Um, directors didn't necessarily have the disposable spend. If and I don't know this, but you know, sometimes you do get this a lot in non-league football. You, 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 you agree your budget. And you sometimes think we can afford that budget because if we could just get a run in the FA Cup, we'll get some prize money. You know, that if we can just get that FA Cup prize money, we'll be fine. Mm. And then inevitably you then get knocked out mm. in the preliminary round and you get upset. Um, so I think if if I was to say anything, I would say we probably should have made budget cuts um, earlier, mm. but... I guess it's a very difficult thing to do when you're top of the league, you've got yeah. a brilliant football team, you're, um, you know, that season, that 09-10 season, we were on the verge of doing the Invincibles. We, we, hadn't, we didn't lose our first game until mid-March. Um, it would take a strong man to suddenly, during that period, say, do you know what? I'm pulling all the budget. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. But I think, you know, ultimately, probably, yeah, I think a number of people probably need to take a little bit of accountability, absolutely. But it's hindsight. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Um, what did you do afterwards? What was the first thing you did once it had all been confirmed that there was no more There was no more team? Well, I, know, I might not be the best. I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily involved. But, um, you know, I know straight away, probably within about, a week um, after that February 2nd wind-up in the High Court, you know, meetings were occurring, meetings with the FA, what were our options? Very quickly, there was a real plan that, you know, we would be looking to start 
a club for the following season. There was meetings with the Hellenic League, there was meetings with the Combined Counties League, etc. I mean, you know, we quickly got accepted that probably because of the stature of what Winter and Eaton was and the crowds that we were getting, we were placed in, you know, Combined Counties Premier Division, which I think at the time there may have been a couple of upset clubs in that. Yes, I think there were, yes. If I remember, I remember thinking back, but then there were also a number that actually appreciated that we bought a good number of fans to away games and that they, they were making decent money over the bar. So, um, but I do remember there was a couple of people that from clubs that thought we shouldn't have been put straight into the Premier Division. I, I suppose. What what do you what what kind of do you feel like are the are the early warning signs then just for, for, for other clubs? What what are the what are the what are the warning signs that there might be a problem down the road? Because obviously, you know, this is bound to happen again at some point. Yeah, it's, it's just looking at the bank account, right? It's being um, financially prudent and making sure and having the balls to make difficult decisions at, at the right time. You know, for me, it's I say it's pretty straightforward, but. You should know what you're at the start of the season. You should be very confident knowing what you're, what you genuinely generate as a club revenue wise and set a budget accordingly that you can afford. Um, I just think that too many clubs at non league level survive on benefactors. Um, and all it needs is that one person uh, to go. If you're not, you, you just need to be sustainable. And I think clubs that have done it well, to be fair, um, you know, I looked at some numbers the other week. I saw Ascot, um, you know, revealed, I think their, their, ter- their revenue turnover, I don't know what the profit is, but their turnover has gone from 300k to 600k, um, you know, in the last couple of years, you know, because they've invested in the 3G pitch. Mm. And it feels like, look at, As- I think Ascot have become a very, very good model um of how to run a sustainable football club and i think there's a lot of lessons there for uh a lot of other local clubs uh michael just to just to finish off i mean obviously you it was all it almost feels like slightly a unique situation in that you were top of the league and you went bust um i I suppose if there's a crumb of comfort it's that that you went out on a high (laughs) yeah absolutely it was you know but it's it's just it was just difficult, right? Because you're you're being so successful. I don't know. Maybe the emotions could have been were could have been better if you if you know we were rock bottom, um, you know. But when you uh, the thing for me is that that squad that Keith had that was a very special squad, and you just you have the what if question, you know, how far could that side have gone? Because we had all of those players were at the peak of their careers. Um, your Michael Channels, your Jake Parsons, your Ryan Parsons, Andrew Fagan, blah, blah, blah. How far that squad could have gone. And I think we would have easily, if that squad would have easily have held its own in the Conference South. Um, but you never know. You never know. <laughs> but I think, you know, that, that was a special squad. Uh, when I look at you know how the likes of Slough are doing now, etc., mm. um, that side was special. Um, so it's just very, very, very sad that they couldn't have gone on as a squad to be, you know, fulfill their potentials. Michael, thank you very much for your time. Did you want to just plug your book and podcast? <laughs> 
Well, uh, so the book, um, so well, one of my big passions, obviously, is, is Wintrony. And, and um, when the club did go under, one of the, the things that I just didn't want to happen was that history to be forgotten. Um, Windsor had a very, Windsor and Eaton had a very, very special history through big FA Cup runs, um, you know, in the 80s, games against Red Star, Belgrade, Ajax, Arsenal, in friendlies, um, league, obviously numerous league titles, cup wins, then obviously the low points of numerous relegations in there as well. But there's a, there was a massive, really interesting history, and of course, with the Royal Family, you know, with the Royal Family as well. So just never wanted that to, to go to waste and, and those memories to be lost. So got set, got down and just started writing and researching um, and released the book last year, which has gone down really, really well. We've had a few unions since, getting lots of the old players from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, 2000s, all, all back together, um, which has been great. Um, launched a podcast series um, so I know all the challenges that you must go through when trying to do a podcast um, <laughs> it's been great um, we're just again interviewing former players um, but what I should, so you know do check it out Wearing the Red and Green which is the name of the book and also the name of the podcast um, but I think the last thing I'll just plug is all the profits from the book um, are donated to Alexander Devine uh, Children's Hospice, which is um, an extremely important local charity. Um, so, you know, making zero money on this book, all profits and everything, and all the money we're making at all the reunions, etc., cetera, are, are all going to that charity. Michael, thank you very much. No problem at all. A huge thank you there to Michael Gegg for taking the time to talk to me for Windsor Month. You can find out more about our project on footballinbarkshire.co.uk or search hashtag Windsor Month on social media. Michael's book, Wearing the Red and Green, is available on Amazon and it comes thoroughly recommended by us. Thanks everybody, we'll see you for another podcast very soon. This episode of Berkshire Football Stories was hosted by Tom Canning and featured Michael Kick. It was produced by Tom Canning. Our theme music is called Space Camp and it is from the album Everyday Adventures by Reading Ukulele band Rocket Kings, who you can find on Spotify and all good music outlets. Find Football in Berkshire on Twitter, Facebook at www.footballinbarkshire.co.uk.
Football in Berkshire's podcast is sponsored by TicketPass. TicketPass provides an ethical alternative to a ticketing industry that often profits from greed. Our platform is an all-in-one solution for creating events, buying and selling tickets, live streaming and keeping events in a safe space. To find out more, to buy tickets, to sign up to the service, head to ticketpass.org. Berkshire Football Stories is sponsored by the Curious Academy, skills hub running a sales academy, digital skills boot camps, and data analytics training in Reading. To find out more, head to thecuriousacademy.co.uk.